podcast i'm your host Stephen morris and i'm so thankful as always that you're here now before we get into uh, today's guest i just want to remind you all the new year's coming up it's just a few weeks away and now is the perfect time to get in on purposeful success with renowned leadership our goal setting program stop wasting your time with new year's resolutions that never work and start actually pouring yourself into goals that are a system that leads you to where you, you have a purposeful, successful life. So without that, or with all that being said, here we go with today's uh, podcast. I hope you all enjoy it. I will see y'all later. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Renowned Leadership. I can't even talk already. I'm like two seconds into it and I cannot talk. How annoying is that? Welcome back to the Renowned Leadership, my Renowned fam. I am so happy to have you all back. And today I have a super awesome, high-powered, high-value guest, man. His name is Mike Hardy. Mike, welcome to the Renowned Podcast, my brother. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, and Mike is hailing from the wonderful uh, Southern California, I believe you said. So, Southern where... California, that's correct. Go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit and give us some of your background. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a husband and father first, married 26 years, four kids that range from uh, 22, 19, 17, and 14. And uh, I am a family man and an entrepreneur. And I'm somebody that sees the world as a place of endless possibility and absolutely look at every single day as a gift and a new opportunity to grow and learn and do something of significance. So I find myself uh, in the mortgage banking business and as a real estate investor for a long time and just love the combination of numbers and people in real estate. That's a sweet spot for me. So anytime I can be working with people, some kind of uh, numbers and math interaction, I just really appreciate uh, the purity of, of numbers. Uh, and then, of course, the amazing world of real estate. That's a sweet spot. So uh, look forward to our conversation. So. You started right off with, with family, and that brings up a very uh, passionate topic of mine, which is work-life balance. Now, let, let me tell you my stance real quick, and, okay. and we're going to see uh, see how close we agree. Right. So I think the phrase work-life work balance is a myth and a lie. I think there has to be sacrifice somewhere, right? And my example is if you put two equally high-powered CEOs in a room with a problem to solve, nothing is going to happen. They're just going to continue to butt heads, butt heads, butt heads until one of them becomes subservient to the other, right? In most cases. So work-life balance, I kind of look at the same way. It's just going to keep colliding with each other until one of them takes priority. There has to be a priority somewhere, and it's more based off what you feel is more important so obviously you first thing you list is family obviously family is far more important to you than business could be or i'm assuming so what 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 are your thoughts on that no i i agree with you i, I think it's the the concept of work-life balance is a little bit of a myth but there there is a place that the, it's always a question of priorities and sacrifice and 
I look at I look at work-life balance more along the lines of there's seasons and windows of life where we have to have a an intentional imbalance to then get to a place that is going to be healthy. And so that needs to come and, and be looked at with a high level of intention. No different than going through school and getting a degree, getting a business up and off the ground. I think where we have to be careful is that anytime we do something for, you know, 90 days or more, I just did that 75 hard program, but anytime you do like 90 days or more, you end up building in habits. And so if unhealthy habits are built in, those can then stay ingrained for years. Um, and I think that could be very unhealthy, but when it comes to work-life balance, it's a matter of deciding what's important and putting up boundaries to protect you from you. Like, that's what I need to do because work is play for me. I love the stuff that I do and I could do it for, you know, 12, 15 hours sometimes and be just, it, it's an energy positive, you know, putting things together and people together. Now that said, I also, um, it's rare that I do that. What I also do is I'm very intentional with my family, with my date nights, with my wife, with doing things specifically, just me and each of my kids. So I think that there's actually way more time in life than most people realize there's 168 hours in a week. And that's a lot of time. And you only need, you know, six to eight hours for being asleep. And so it's really more about being intentional with that time and and pouring it into the different areas of life that are that are that matter and that are priorities. Um, so that's kind of how I look at work life balance. Probably a little bit unconventional, but that's my take. How do you manage your time then? Do you time block? Do you to do list? Like what what do you do to ensure that you're you're keeping those habits in check? Yeah, absolutely. So all right, let me let me preface the the answer with this. I heard one point at one point that if you spend just over 1% of your day on something and you do it every day for a year, you'll be in the top roughly 5% in the nation simply by being intentional daily in a topic. And so I do a fair amount of time blocking, but I also have a lot of margin that's in my day. So, you know, it's funny, I you can't see this, but it's like a journal and I, I go through and I have um, things that I need to get done each day. And I break it down into like four different categories that are non-negotiables for me. And the, the four different categories are body, being, balance, and business. So every single day, I'm going to do something that's fitness related. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, it's fitness and fuel are the subcategories of body. And, and so every day I do some kind of exercise for a minimum of 1% of the day, that's only 15 minutes, right? It's 1% of the day. So I know that no matter what, I can at least exercise and sweat for 15 minutes. Usually it's more than that, but as a fallback, say I'm traveling or something. So, um, and then I'll have a, a green drink and that allows me to make sure that at least I've got minimum baseline nutrition. Cause I figure like, you know, we have one body that's going to get us for a hundred years plus or minus, we might as well take care of it and weaponize it so that it can best serve us in all areas. So, you know, that's, um, but that's one, the being side, that's like a little bit of uh, sitting in silence each day and thinking, taking some prayer time, taking some meditation time and journaling. Then also the next one is balance. Balance is investing in my wife and my kids, just doing something thoughtful, even if it's small. Again, it doesn't take that long. It's just the the like the daily deposits. 
And then on the business side, it's called discover and declare. And that is every single day learning something new about my craft and then teaching it to somebody else in the marketplace. Maybe it's my team here, you know, maybe it's forward facing, maybe it's a webinar, you know, but just every day giving something back that I've learned so I can anchor the lesson in my own life. So that system right there allows me to, it's called the core four, make sure that in the four different important areas of life that I have guardrails and consistent growth that takes place. So I never get lopsided in one and have a, you know, result in a train wreck in the other. So uh, that's awesome because you and I are pretty much cut from the same cloth because I got, I got the same thing. I got my little to-do journal, uh, bullet journal, I think is the technical term for it, but I just call it my to-do journal. Mm -hmm. Um, and I break it down into categories as well, not near as in depth as you do. I, maybe I should incorporate that. Um, I, I just break it down into life and business, but maybe, maybe I should be more intentional about how, uh, how I break it down. Um, and then I also time block on my calendar as well from my, my journal. Okay. Um, what, so how, how long have you been journaling? You know, it's, it's, when I say journaling, sometimes it just sort of turns into a to-do list and sometimes it's actually some deep thoughts and reflections. Right. So when I say journaling, I want to caveat that, but it's more a matter of me taking the time to get whatever is in here and out and onto paper. And sometimes it's super creative and sometimes it's just highly practical. So I, I give myself a lot of latitude and permission on that. I would say for the last, I don't know, maybe uh, not quite 10 years, a little less than that. I've been, it's been a, a practice of mine to just hit this core four every day. And it's, it's cathartic for me. I mean, I think sometimes like what I'll do is in my mind, there's so much going on. I'm like, okay, I need to clear my mind because there's just too much happening. And I'll take the time to just write out everything that's up here. And I realize that after I write it out and I'm looking down at it, the level of stress drops about three clicks. <laughs> All of a sudden it's like, it's out of my head. It's on paper. It's actually called like, what is it? Psychomotor neurological activity. It's like, it's and your mind starts to then subconsciously solve things. Cause it can, you, you rise above the problem in a sense. So that's the reason I do it. I write a lot. I mean, I've got, countless in fact i just burned through another one and now i've got i'm onto this one so i've got it seems like every month there's another quote journal even though sometimes it's just a to-do list for the day and then yes sometimes there's actually a creative side that comes out and i i love that you brought that up because to me that's what journaling is i think people have a wrong idea of journaling i think people think of journaling as like a, a 13 year old teenage girl with a, a pink book with a purple heart shaped lock on it with a butterfly pink butterfly key that starts every sentence with dear diary. <laughs> um, right. I've never written dear diary, not once. <laughs> right. And, but I, I, cause I mean, that's exactly how I journal too. Sometimes I just, you know, write in my, t the things I need to do sometimes, um, you know, like you said, but I, and I, I keep several journals. I, you know, I have a gold journal. Um, I have a deep, what I call a defrag journal. So mm -hmm. like on those days where I just need to dump everything out of my brain, mm -hmm. that's what that's for. Um, and, but I started doing that because I noticed my journals were getting cluttered and I was having trouble finding what I wanted. Mm. So I just started keeping separate journals. 
I think I have seven total. Um, but I don't write in all seven hardly yet. Like the the main ones are, are my to do journal, my bullet journal, and my goal journal. Okay. So, um, but yeah, I I love the practice, and it's it's definitely therapeutic for me, and it's also one of the most useful problem solving tools I've ever found. I started doing it way way back in the day when I I first got put into a leadership role in the army. And I started doing it just to track what was going on. So, cause I was trying to figure out what worked and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And as I uh, was doing that, I realized like, oh, wow, like this is, this is helping me actually solve problems. So then I started just kind of problem solving journal or using a journal as a problem solver. And then I just, it grew and grew and grew. But I I wish more, and that's with my clients, that's one of the things I try so hard to convey to them and get them to do. And they push back so hard. They just don't want to do it. And I think it's because they don't see the value in it. And I I don't know how to convey the value any better than you and I have right now. And so it's just like, well, either you're not going to do it or you're not, or you're going to do it or you're not. You know, I, I have, um, a lot of things I do each day that I don't want to, or I don't feel like it. And what I've noticed is that there's, there's a value, excuse me, there's a value in the discipline because it takes after a little while. um, I think we all get to see where the value is and at least pick up some good habits from that. And so I'll do all kinds of different 90 day projects or disciplines to see, even though I don't like it to see, where the lesson is, you know, and where it's possible to grow and expand. So like right now, for example, for this third quarter, I've got five more things that I'm doing each day and I'll just, I'll read them to you. Um, I used to play chess back years ago and I haven't played. My boys started getting into it. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to play a game of chess each day. And it doesn't matter if it's with one of them or the computer, but I'm going to do that for 90 days because I wanted to get better at it again. Right. It was real good in the past and then kind of fell off. So chess, um, read nonfiction. Part of the part of the uh, 75 hard program is you have to read the 10 minutes a day, which I already do, but not every day. So now it's a daily thing. So I have that on my checklist. Um, I wanted to go through the the Bible. I hadn't done that for years, and so I'm doing the audio version just when I work out. It's the you know like the daily gets you through it in a year. Um, I wanted to also there's a program called the Stack, which allows you to like sort through emotions, and so it's an app I have. I go through that. Uh, and then the last one is I want to get better at chat GPT. So every single day for 90 days, I will get in chat GPT and I will just spend a few minutes in there asking questions and, you know, kind of like driving around the neighborhood, so to speak, to just sort of learn the neighborhood. And it's amazing. I've, I've realized that there's some amazing efficiencies that exist through chat GPT that were, you know, off my radar, but I, I'm only figuring it out because I'm doing a little bit each day. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it goes for me. It goes beyond the discipline because in the military, because and I know I sound like a broken record. Everybody, yes, I always talk about being in the military. I did it for 16 years. It was the vast majority of my adult life. I'm sorry, it's all I got. But in the military, um, discipline is mandatory, right? Like you have to be disciplined, or your your life sucks. And when I got into the civilian world, I I lost a lot of my discipline. So I had to earn all that discipline back. 
the reason why it is so important to me is because I've noticed every single successful person that I look up to, every single one, have, they have intense discipline. And like you said, there are hours spent doing things that they don't necessarily want to do. You know, when we look at, you know, famous successful people, all we see is is the the beauty of their craft, whatever it may be. We don't see all the, you know, painstaking hours of watching game film. If you're Peyton Manning, where, you know, his wife talked about, you know, he would spend 10 hours in the game room just watching game film. Well, you know, we, we don't see that painstaking task. I'm sure after two hours, you're like, I'm so done with this. Right. But you got to keep going because that's how you that's how you become great. So I, I definitely agree with that uh, mindset. And I think that also it's, it's people get in their own way because people don't don't truly believe in themselves they don't truly believe that they can be great that they can be successful Mm -hmm. and so so that mindset with well why would i do that because it doesn't matter i'm never going to be elon musk so having habits like elon musk doesn't even matter yeah you know i think that what healthy habits do this is an Aristotle saying I like, which is first we create our habits and then our habits create us. And a lot of these things, like I, it, they become subconscious over time. And my, I, my, I remember my dad teaching me to drive a stick shift manual years ago. And he said something that I didn't realize how profound it was until later in life. But he said, you know what, son, because Mike, at first, this is going to be stick shift and then it will become an automatic. I kind of looked at him weird. He's like, yep, it'll be an automatic. You won't even notice it anymore. And so many things in life are like that, where there's a discipline, it's a grind, and I don't get it, I'm figuring it out, and I don't want to do it. And then after a while, it's subconsciously driven, it's built in, and it's a part now of a tool set and a skill set that I'm able to build upon. And so I kind of look at these different disciplines um, not as much as a discipline, but as like a you know sort of rite of rite of passage to be able to grow and expand. Yeah, it's funny you say that. Because the first thing that popped into my head that was like that is email. I didn't realize I'd do it until a couple of days ago. But the army in the army, they taught us like you get an email, you check it immediately, you answer it. You don't you don't leave it till tomorrow. You get a text message, you check it, you answer it immediately. Mm. Um, and you get in trouble if you don't. And so I guess that habit just got built into me over time. So to this day, like my phone goes off, I get an email, I check it, I answer it, or I delete it, or I put it in the appropriate folder, whatever. It takes two yeah. seconds, not a big deal. But I was in a mastermind talking to a guy and he had 20,000 unread emails. Mm. And I about had a heart attack. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> that wouldn't mind. work for me. Not at all. And so we were talking about it and I'm like, dude, but so like one, you're, you could be missing out on some very important information. You never know, but it's like, it's just dirty. It's cluttered. How can you tolerate it? And he's like, yeah, but it's digital. Yeah. Well, digital dirt's still dirt, man. So, right. but yeah, it's that habit. Like I don't, I didn't even realize that I had that habit until that conversation. And then after I got to thinking about it, it's like, yeah, an, an email will not stay in my inbox unless I'm asleep, you know, longer than an hour. 
but right. that goes unread. So <clears throat> anyway, thank you for chasing the the squirrels with me on this. Uh, very very interesting stuff. So yeah, you were talking about you were talking about being in the real estate game. Uh, what exactly uh, do do you do? In, what I don't know a whole lot about real estate, so kind of dumb it down for me. Yeah, two things. So so I've been in the mortgage space for a long time. So my my group here, my company, Churchill Mortgage, um, California, Nevada uh, is is the areas that I that I run and lead um, with a partner of mine, and we help about five thousand families a year, or excuse me, about five thousand families over the last five years, I should say, uh, with a purchase or refinance. Just understand the world of real estate. But it's much more than that. I was formally trained as a financial advisor out of college before getting into the real estate mortgage space. And so uh, really, we help people understand how to grow wealth in real estate and have strategically um, manage any debt necessary to help grow that wealth. Because if you look at the world of real estate, it's, you know, for sometimes it seems like a little bit of a mystery for people, but it's actually really quite simple. Like it's just almost like a child grows real estate over time grows as well. And, um, you know, short of, uh, like a lot of people look at real estate and think, well, maybe there could be a crash. Maybe there could, you know, this could happen. That could happen. When you boil down just like the basics of supply and demand, you've got so many people and so many houses and there's you can get a really good idea of where property values will be in the future based on the population, the future population, looking at demographics, the existing amount of homes available, and then the rate that new homes are being built. I mean, it's to oversimplify it. It's just almost like if you had a lemonade stand and people are thirsty and how many cars are driving by. It's like there's a level of predictability of how much lemonade is going to sell based on available and then cars driving by. So same thing in real estate. So in real estate, what most people don't know is that over the course, if you buy a home in 15 years, plus or minus, the property value is going to double. In a slow market, it might take closer to 20 years for it to double. In a fast growing market, it might be closer to about 10 years that it will double, right? And that's fairly common. If you look all the way back throughout history, real estate grows about four to 5% trend line over the last, you know, 50, 100 years. So what we do is we help people. I do a lot of investing in real estate as well and I have a, a, an opportunity zone fund, which is a much more complex conversation, but oversimplified, we help people buy homes understand if it's safe and if it's smart and then also when it makes sense to refinance if there's a better way we will proactively let them know we'll manage debt so that's kind of a long way of saying that we give a lot of guidance and strategy and advice when it comes to helping people build wealth in real estate what are some of the most common mistakes people uh, make when buying a home obviously getting in an adjustable rate is pretty pretty dangerous yeah, it can be. That's a great tool for a sophisticated investor in certain scenarios. You know, for most people, it's really? much better to get a get a you know a, a fixed rate program. Some of the common um, mistakes that take place are, well, here's a big one: is 
thinking is not properly budgeting for being able to buy. Um, and like as an example, I, I see some folks that they're they want to buy a home, but the payment's going to be double what they're paying in rent. And you can either afford it or you can't. Okay. And let's say that the income is there. And usually as a rule of thumb, if somebody's income is 10 grand a month, about a third of that can go to housing. It's a technically allowed to be a little more. You can actually get up almost pretty close to 50% can be allowed to go to housing related expenses. But as a rule of thumb, if someone's got 10 grand a month, should be, you know, $3,300, $3,400 go going to housing. So what we like to do is help people start saving at that level. Um, because if somebody's going to have a pretty significant jump in payment, but they have no savings, there's behaviors that need to change first. So what we want to do is we want to align healthy decisions with the right behaviors and, and sort of help on that track. So that's that's one. Um, the misconceptions are that you have to have 20% down. You don't. You can do that with a lot less down. There's, you know, VA programs for 0% down for, you know, military, for veterans. Um, there's 3% down. There's 5% down. So there's a lot of programs out there. I think the misconception is that you have to have everything perfect before you do buy a home. I actually look at it a little bit different because... I, again, back to the analogy of, let's say, a child that's growing. If somebody thinks they want to be a homeowner at some point and not be a renter, because rent costs keep rising as well, then when somebody is responsibly able to buy, they should. So a, a, a something that is, I think, a, a an error that people make is they try to time the market. And they try to say, let's wait until this happens or that happens when they're ready to buy, but they're trying to be a market timer. I rarely see that work out for a primary residence. If you're an investor, different story because you're buying cash flow for the most part. So that would be my my uh, off the cuff advice on that. Okay. So let's flip the script then. What, what are our what what are what are some key traits? uh young uh and aspiring real real estate uh managers or uh people trying to get in the mortgage business uh what what advice would you give them to prepare them for the challenges they're about to face for somebody that wants to get into the mortgage business mm -hmm. got it so when you're getting into the mortgage business um, if you're doing this as somebody that wants to build a, a, a book of clients and help them in the way that I just discussed, you're really running your own business. And so running a business is no different than starting any business. You're going to have uh, some ramp up time in order to be able to start to um, find the right people, uh, find the people to be able to help because that's really a, it's a, the job is, is finding people, bringing value, finding a pain or a problem, and then providing a possibility and a path, pain, problem, possibility, and path. And so to do that in a market where it's an economic storm that's taking place, because we're going through, you know, it's a very complicated time in the mortgage business. You just have to plan on having enough personal liquidity to be able to get your business up and off the ground. So, you know, it's kind of a different market uh, right now because, the volume of business, just to give a sort of a unique an example, there was 
these numbers should be pretty close, but there was about 15 million loan transactions back a couple years ago between purchase and refinance. And then this year, the projection is going to be under 5 million, I think four and a half million. Wow. So that's a huge drop in number of transactions taking place. Um, and it'll be that way most likely for the rest of the year. And then next year, you know, in 2025 or excuse me, 2024, um, we should have another good wave of business, separate conversation. So the advice to somebody getting in the mortgage business is, do you have the mental resilience and the financial staying power to be able to get a business up and off the ground? If you do, the business is absolutely amazing. It's the world's best kept secret. And I'll tell you why. Because you don't have the same level of talent that flows out of the university system that goes into every other profession, financial advisor, CPA, you know, the, the uh, you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, like there's, there's career paths that go and, and a, a path for talent to flow into all the different disciplines, but there's not a normal path into the mortgage business. So people end up here by accident a lot. And as a result, it's much easier to shine. So I was a financial advisor for the first number of years of my career out of college. Everyone's smart. Everyone works hard. Everybody brings value. People show up. They are on their game. And in the mortgage business, it's just, the it's a lot easier to shine because you don't have the same level of talent and you don't have the same level of consistency and discipline that, that most other professions either require because of the guardrails on the job or because of the talent that's in that industry. Why is that? Well, I think that there's, here's, here's why, because of this economic cycles that we go through um, in, in, and in real estate, and because the barrier of entry to get into the mortgage business is, is not too high. Doesn't take a law degree. It doesn't take a series seven license. Like it's just, you got to pass your test and there's, you know, it takes a little bit and, and there's, there can be these, an, a handful of years where it's just an abundance of business. People think it's easy. And so someone will get in and they'll have a couple good years and then it'll get difficult. And they thought it was an easy business and it wasn't. So over that. So that's one aspect is you can develop bad habits um, real easily when there's a lot of business coming and you don't really don't have to work for it. So that's one of the reasons. And then it goes through cycles. And so then, um, you know, then, or if you start in a cycle and you don't have the staying power or the right business model or the right company, then guess what? You don't make the turn. So it's just got a lot of complication to it and not, not a, a, not a path, like a career path that most industries have. And I think that's one of the reasons that it, uh, you know, sort of has a vacuum of talent and attracts sometimes the wrong people because they think it's going to be easy and they can make a quick buck. Hey everyone, Steven here. As we gear up for the new year, I've got something super special for you today. But before we dive in, make sure you hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up and ring that notification bell so you can always experience the motivation and inspiration and the tips that we bring to you every single week here. Now let's talk about New Year's resolutions. How many times 
have you set a resolution only to have it fizzle out by the beginning of February or before January is even close to being over? Well, not this time. I've got a game-changing program that will teach you how to set goals that actually stick and that will propel you towards success in both your personal and professional life. Imagine saying goodbye to the cycle of failed resolutions. Picture yourself achieving what you set out to do and it's all possible with our proven methods that I've been perfecting for over 20 plus years. We'll be diving deep into the art of effective goal setting. And it's not just about writing down your goals. It's about a strategic approach that guarantees success. Go to renownedleadership.com forward slash goals to learn more. And let's make 2024 your best year yet. We only take 25 new goal setters every month and spots fill up fast. So make sure you get yours today. And for this month only, if you uh, use coupon code RenownedGoals at checkout, you'll get 20% off. Again, spots fill up fast, so make sure you get yours today. So if you're tired of the same old resolutions that never work, join us on this journey. Remember, goals are within your reach. Sign up now. Let's make 2024 your best year ever. Right. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I figured. And I feel like the real estate game in general is, is that's what people feel. They feel like, oh, I saw this dude on TV flip a house and made $80,000 in profit. Like, how easy is that? I can do that. But they don't, again, like you, you're not seeing the behind the scenes. You're not seeing the years of training. You're not seeing there's a lot behind the, the scenes that you don't see that you're missing out on. And like you said, you know, you, you can be a, a an awesome a realtor, but if the market's crap, then you're, you're still going to struggle to sell houses and, and make your, make rent. Um, so and I didn't realize the mortgage industry was the same way. Um, I don't really, like I said, know a whole lot about it. So how did, how did you get into real estate investing then? Yeah, that's a, so it's, I bought my first triplex a number of years ago. Um, I mean, bought, bought a home, got married and bought a home pretty, pretty, uh, pretty young. And then um, at one point came across uh, an individual that had a triplex that was really run down and they just wanted to sell it real quick. And I thought, oh man, I, I, I just did some basic math and like, if I can get this fixed up and rented, it's going to have really good cash flow. And so, you know, figured out how to buy that. Um, but it, that kind of whet the appetite for it. So getting into the investing, um, that, that was really how it started the, uh, through the great recession. I just, I've always been intrigued by taking the time to see where, if inefficiencies exist, it's one of the things I like about real estate, you know, in most, most like in the world of securities, there's, it's a very efficient market for the most part. It's like you mm -hmm. got, you know, thousand buyers, thousand sellers in real estate. Sometimes you can have, uh, you can find the ability to bring something highest and best that others don't see. And, and so it's like, oh, look at this, look at this, uh, these, these rents are very undervalued and the rent could be, should be much higher, you know, the going rent in this area is, is, should be, should be X and, 
know, there's properties where it's much lower or, you know, this, we could do some development here. We could add some units. So there's just a lot of opportunity for highest and best that exist in real estate. And that's one of the things that's, uh, you know, super, super interesting to me. So yeah, it started, but that was, that was my path in. I, I moved into the mortgage banking business and was able to, for a number of years, talking to many people that were investors, you know, first time buyers as well, but also working with lots of investors and just kind of had a front row seat into a lot of different things that people were doing. Cause I was helping with the financing and I had a little bit of investment experience on my own. And so that was able, it's kind of like a paid education just to be able to see what everyone else is doing. Cause I'm helping them with the financing. And so that was really my path in. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's really smart. So what's, what's better than, um, because the real estate is something I want to learn. It's something I want to do. Um, I just, you know, haven't had the time or, or, or the money right now, but, um, it's definitely something on my radar that I want to do in the future uh, and get into my portfolio. What, what's better, especially starting out, would it be uh, commercial or residential? Yeah, you know, I, I'd probably residential. Um, I think that, um, you know, there's, we, we, we actually, uh, we're, we had some, I, we decided to pass on it, but there's, if you look in different States, um, first thing you have to decide is, are you, are you buying to live in it or are you buying it as an investment? I mean, it's sort of a clear upfront distinction. Nope. It's going to be for my family. Um, or nope, I want to buy it because I think it will be a good investment. So then you're just looking at the cash flow. It's like, all right, what, what, what is the cost of this property? Um, what is the cost, you know, monthly for financing and, you know, down payment necessary in order to get, get that property. And then what is the, what is the rent and what is the future rent? So I just have a spreadsheet and run projections on things and look to see, um, you know, what, what the, uh, cash flow is against the cost of a property, you know, what's the rent against the purchase price. And to answer the question, like, how do you get into it? The first, the first question is like, you know, do is there, where's the money going to come from for down payment? And then can you properly prepare for like, you know, uh, repairs and expenses that come up and budget for that? But at the end of the day, I always, you know, step back and look to, and see that, you know, over time, real estate's going to grow double about every 15 years. And you're going to have rents that will grow kind of in a similar fashion. Like it just seems like that's the trend. And so, um, I do a lot of fix and flip projects. Like that's a little bit of a niche that we have where we'll find properties that are, you know, that are really run down and buy them and go through the rehab and then resell them. That's been a, that's been a niche of ours. And so I like that as a business model because I can usually get about a, a 10% return um, for each project. And then, um, for each turn and then do that a couple of times a year. So it ends up being like a really good cash on cash return by turning the money a few times a year and then having a, you know, a net of kind of eight to 10 to 12% um, for each turn. So that's a model that I like. So it really depends if somebody like prefers to wants to be involved, right? This is something I'm involved in, or if somebody wants it to be more passive or they want to buy a property, get a renter and then set and forget and just let it run its course. So those are right. two different strategies. Well, why why is residential easier than commercial? 
resident and I'm not sure that it is. It's just the world that I know. I've been in oh, the okay. residential lending side forever. Um, and so because of that, that's that's flowed into the residential investing for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I got you. Okay. So um can you can you talk to me about opportunity zones? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So opportunity zones are kind of the world's best kept tax secret. I mean, it's this it's <laughs> part of the 2017 jobs and tax act and it allows people that have capital gains let's say somebody has a property and they sell the property and they've got tax due from that property they can take the gain portion and push it in to a real estate opportunity zone fund and defer paying the tax until 2027 but most importantly all of the growth that takes place in the fund, they can then, as long as it stays in the fund for a 10-year window, you can exit once a year if you need to, but as long as it stays in there for a 10-year window, it, the money can then come out capital gains tax-free, which is like mind-blowing, like wow. a Roth IRA, right? So uh, yeah. all the money that you put into a Roth IRA that grows and it comes out tax-free, same thing, but it can be for all of the any gains that come, um, at least up until 2026 when it turns off. So there's a window of time for the opportunity zone, but really the whole premise behind it, that's the benefit for an investor. The whole premise behind the opportunity zone was to have, it was to take each state designates kind of the, like the lower income areas of each state, lower 20% income areas. And as long as the investments are done in a fund that invests in the lower 20% area, it then qualifies for this benefit. So that's the simplified version. The whole point is to be able to attract money into underdeveloped lower income areas to help revitalize and bring up those areas. And then of course brings up the tax base. So it helps the state, but it's a way to give investors a benefit with, with amazing tax benefits and it's a way to bring money and capital that normally wouldn't be attracted to certain areas into areas that really need it for growth. That's a great explanation. Thank you. Because I, I never heard of it until I was researching to talk to you. And then it's like, I'm like, what's an opportunity opportunity zone. So I, I Googled it and man, I got confused. <laughs> it's like, that eventually I kind of figured it out, but yep. man, that was a great explanation. Thank you. I so much more clear now. Uh, yeah, abso I, absolutely. I, I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm a simple guy. And so I like to just break things down to the most simple explanations. And it's actually a rule for investing for me. If I can't understand it and explain it in you know a minute, then I'm not going to invest in it and I'm not going to recommend it to people because I think life should be that simple. I don't want to invest in things that I don't really understand. Absolutely. 100%. So with that being said, even though that, that was a great explanation, I would still, you know, if I'm going into the market and this is something I'm interested in, me personally, I'm really apprehensive. Like there, there's got to be, I, I'm not educated enough. There's got to be things I watch out for. There's got to be something. So are, are there are there any gotchas or any any specific thing investors need to watch out for when they're trying to work with opportunity zones? Yeah, so an opportunity zone is uh, 
there's two different things. There's an opportunity zone strategy, and then there's the investment strategy of the fund itself. And so think of it kind of like the, the, the investment strategy is like the, uh, is the, or the tax benefit is like the garage. And then the investments that are inside that are like the car parked in the garage. Like what's the, mm-hmm. that's the difference. So what I just explained is the overall, that's the garage. That's the tax treatment for people. Then what are the investments that are going to be inside that fund, that garage, so to speak. So that's what, um, that's one of the things that I, I was talking about the fix and flip projects. And then for our, our model, we're developing um, build to rent townhomes uh, in Southern California. There's a dramatic undersupply of housing. There's an affordability, you know, housing issue. And so we're building out um, longer term plan is to build out a hundred of these inside of the fund. Um, in addition to, um, there's, there's some rules that we have to follow in, in terms of development and, um, there's a, without getting, you know, over technical in this conversation, there's some guidelines that we have to follow in order for us to be able to buy a project and it fit what's eligible in the opportunity zone. But the short version is we do projects that are pretty heavy fix and flip rehab projects. And then we have the, uh, townhome projects that are going to be built to rent. So those are the investments that we have. So to answer your question, an opportunity zone fund, all funds are not created equal, so to speak. Um, you have, you just have to be comfortable with the investment strategy of the fund because different funds do different things with the money that they receive inside of that fund. Right. And, and these funds are pre-built, correct? Uh, make sure I understand the, the question. So, the, so, you know, kind of like, the the from my, what I got was the it's kind of like a mutual fund. You you find the the broker, if you will, that has the fund, and then you're investing and using said fund. Or does, is that not okay? Yeah. So you would have to choose a fund. Let's just say that you have a busted ten thirty one exchange, which is fairly common for real estate investors, or you sell a property. You could even sell stock. It could be any capital gains. So let's just say that you have, you know, I'll just use a simple example. You sell a a project, it's a million dollar sale and, but you bought it for 500,000. That means your gain is going to be 500,000 because you, you know, the difference from a million to 500. So you have a gain of 500,000 and you have 500,000 basis. What you can do is you can take the basis back. Your initial 500,000 can go back to you. And then the gain portion, the 500 gain, if you put that into an opportunity zone fund, what's called a QOF, Qualified Opportunity Fund, and it stays and grows inside of that fund, and you keep it there for the 10-year window, you're then eligible for the tax-free exit of the growth. And then just for some kind of like, simple explanation of of compounding growth of money you know we'll talk about what's called the rule of 72 and the rule of 72 means that if you have money if you any money that you invest um and it's invested for 10 years and you at a 7.2 percent rate of return it's going to double okay and Mm so like the way i think and the way that i'm structuring my you know, my own investments, I'm a very sizable investor in my own fund, um, is that 
If money grows at 7.2%, in 10 years, it will double. If money grows at 11.6% rate of return, in 10 years, it will triple. And if money grows at 15% rate of return, in 10 years, it will quadruple. And then exit tax-free. Right. So my model is we're running between 11 and 15 right now. We've been running at 13.5%. If I just look at the history of the fund, the last four years. So my plan for me personally, and the, you know, the likely outcome and what our target is, is that an investor over 10 years with whatever they put in, I want them to have somewhere from three times their money and tax-free. Maybe four, that'd be fantastic. But if I can have, you know, if somebody can put in a million dollars and have it turn into $3 million tax-free, that's an amazing outcome yeah. and strategy, right? So that's that's really my model oversimplified is to take that approach and then have and leverage the opportunities on tax benefit while it's here. Again, it's going to disappear in, in uh, about two years. So if it disappears, if they don't turn it back on, which they probably won't because this sounds like a pretty awesome, smart uh, policy to have. So obviously Congress is going to shoot it down. Um, if they don't turn it back on, the money inside the fund is going to be safe for that 10 years, correct? Like you just can't add anything to it. Is that that's how that's going to work? It would mean that there would be no eligible um, contributions after 2026. But any okay. money existing that's been contributed between 2018 and 2026 will then be eligible for that preferred tax treatment, uh, growth, and tax-free exit. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's a shame that I'm just now hearing about this. This is this is like mind blowing that a program like this, the the, the United States government actually conceived something good for a change. Um, not a big fan of government. <laughs> yeah the less government the better but this was this is one they got right absolutely so for people like me that have never heard of this before do you know of any good resources out there where where they can go find out and learn about what's going on yeah sure we we actually have a uh a website that breaks down and gives some uh visuals and kind of comparison from 1031 to to opportunity zone strategy. And that's that's um, the fund website. And that's uh, www.cyrusozfund.com, C-Y-R-U-S-O-Z-Fund.com. And uh, there's all of the frequently asked questions are, are there as well. Okay, awesome. I appreciate that. And of course, I will have that link in, in the show notes. So just scroll down and, and, and find it. Yeah. And I can uh, so, send you too. We have a newsletter that goes out once a week mm -hmm. that covers kind of the wave top benefits of the OZ. So uh, there's an info form on the website um, to, to get subscribed for that as well. Oh, awesome. 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 Great resource. Awesome. Thank you. So I want to, I want to switch back um, to a little more personal real quick. Sure. Um, and, and just one of the things I, I always try to learn from people and the best advice I ever got from one of my mentors um, coming up in the army was you, you, you will never have a wasted day in your life. If you learn at least one new thing every single day, how, how do you treat 
personal development slash uh, furthering your education. Uh, what habits do you have? How do you treat that? And what do you do to continue to make sure you're constantly learning? No, it's a, it's such a, such a good question. I, I really like, I haven't heard that before, but I really like that, that, uh, that phrase. So, and that's part of my daily discipline is so I do a couple things each day. I'll, I learn something new about my business and that's the discover and declare that I was right, talking about. about it's that, part of the yeah. core four. Um, and then I also will learn something personally. So I usually will, not usually, I, I will daily listen to things or read things that will be, that will be personal development in some form or fashion. And I will read or listen or watch things that will be business development. So I do both every single day without fail. And then same thing, discover and declare. And so on the declare side, uh, what I'll do is, you know, maybe it's the weekends because I keep the weekends really focused for just, you know, family time and personal time. Um, but I'll teach my kids. Like I'll teach my kids. My kids are are, are silent investors on, you know, some of the flip projects that I do as an example. So um, I'm always sharing with them if I learn something um, that's on the business side that I think is going to like help them. Got a fire engine going by. Excuse me one second. There we go. Um, but if, if, if my, I just, I want to make sure that I can share with them what I think are the best practices and some of the secrets and things that you'd never learn in school, not the traditional education. So um, part of my declare process is to share, simplify the lessons and share them with my kids systematically. How, how so with your kids, like, I that is so awesome. And I, I, I wish more people did that because I feel like having your, so obviously your kids are investing their own money, correct? Being their money, investors. correct. Right. So how, how effective has that been teaching them not only the market, and how to read the market, how to, you know, forecast the market, all that stuff, but just managing their money. How effective has it been uh, teaching them those things? Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's creating an awareness that is not normal. And like I, one, one example is um, I decided to create some incentives. Um, and so something I did with my 16, 17 year old recently is I gave him a couple of books to read and I told them that I would, I would pay him after he read the book and then gave me, wrote a summary of what his lessons were that he learned from it. So one that we did recently was like the richest man in Babylon as mm -hmm. an example. So he read through it and he start he's starting to understand like the wisdom of money from one of like the most amazing, you know, uh, sort of short stories that has to do with wealth building and making good investment decisions. So um, it's, I mean, like all things, kids are kids and they're, you know, they're, they're, but what I do know is if they can be grow up, you know, somewhat, I don't know if saturated is the right word, but at least, you know, have a, a healthy, constant awareness of the best practices of wealth building and of personal development um, that has nothing to do with what they learn in school, but just things that they learn from like, you know, what dad does, then, those are go-tos later in life where they're like, Oh, you know what? I remember this lesson before. It's almost like it's the reticular activator is fired up now. Right. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been effective, but I, I mean, 
like as an easy example, and it doesn't change because I mean, there's, there, there's, uh, we all, we all have like different people are spenders and different people are savers. But the way I look at it, like every, every dollar spent today is $3 that you don't have 10 years from now, just from a growth standpoint, if it's invested reasonably, reasonably well, you know, back to the rule of 72. So mm-hmm. like I'll talk about those types of things fairly often. And sometimes it takes, sometimes it doesn't, but I do know that there's at least a heightened awareness. Um, and instead of it being totally off the radar, now it's at least in the periphery. Yeah. Uh, that's so important to me because for me, um, up until about three or four years ago, I was scared of the market. You know, you talk about stocks, bonds, mutual, you talk about any of that stuff and, and that stuff scared me because I didn't understand it. Yep. And I thought it was the super complex machine that you needed a PhD to understand and drive. And then I just took a couple of classes and it's like, oh, wait, the stock market doesn't seem that scary now that I'm starting to learn the language. And then now that I've been playing with it for a while, it's like, you know, it, it's cool. It's easy. I mean, not easy, but, you know, it's not what I thought it was. So I think it's great that your kids aren't going to have that same fear that I did because they're growing up with it. And I think that's special and is going to help them dramatically throughout their life. Yeah, we we all fear what we don't understand. And so I think that's part of us, you know, on the on the, the mortgage banking side as well. Part of part of what is really important to me for you know, the clients that we're serving and everyone on the team here is to be an educator. We have a saying called like, you know, have the heart of a teacher. So mm-hmm. be be not a salesperson, be a teacher and be an educator. And when we do that, then we help to reduce fear and I don't know about eliminate, but reduce fear and uncertainty. And that empowers people to then be able to maybe see what they couldn't see on their own. But yeah, there's endless opportunity out there. And I think it's unwarranted fears can prevent a lot of people from doing what's in their own best interest. I I, I respect that. And I think that's one of the best business models I've ever heard um, approach every client as, you know, as if you were just teaching them and educating them. And I think that that probably sells itself with most people, because like you said, it's going to make them feel safe. So, Mike, uh, we're coming up on time. I really appreciate you being here, joining us, and just sharing all your love and wisdom with my audience. Uh, do me a favor real quick, though, and tell my audience how they can find you, get a hold of you. Um, you do public speaking, I believe, as well. Yeah, yeah fairly recently, it's become, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been happening more and more. So, I, I, in fact, probably the best way, I have a website. Um, it's it's MikeHardyBio.com, and... You know, my emails there, I've got, a, I did an Ironman a while back. I wrote a story about that. Um, the Opportunity Zone info is there. You know, some of the investment projects, Churchill Mortgage. We do, we do webinars. We actually do webinars for um, education-based that are on comparing the market we're in now to 2008. What's the same? What's different? Just helping people understand, you know, what's really happening, not just the media headlines. So, um, yeah, and my email's there. So if anybody wants to reach out on whether it's Opportunity Zone or understanding how to just make smart decisions in real estate and with with mortgages, if necessary, um, that's a good way to go. And then uh, I'm sure we can put my email in the show notes as well. 
Um, but yeah, happy to any, any way I can serve. I mean, the way I look at it too, Stephen, is that it's almost like the concept of I, it. When I meet somebody, I never really know. I'm actually okay with any outcome. I never really know. Um, am I supposed to help them? Are they supposed to help me? Or is it both ways? And I'm fine with any of them. Sometimes I'm just supposed to help with nothing in return. Sometimes I'm going to gain something, you know, and sometimes it's both ways. We help each other and all of them are great outcomes because somebody is improving. And so I'll just, I'll end with this, but there's a saying I like, which is one new idea or one new relationship can completely change the trajectory of your life. One new idea or one new relationship. And I think that's the beauty of life. It's a great adventure is we can meet somebody new and a whole new world of possibility and opportunity can open up. So you just stole my thunder and I don't appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I, <did>. <laughs> <laughs> I end every show um, asking my guests, telling you know, I tell them they have the honor of sharing the final word of wisdom. Mm. And the question I ask them is how can the best advice they can give on how people can lead like champions. Oh. So, so yeah. you, you stole it from me and I don't appreciate it. So take it back. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate your time. And of course, I'm going to have all your links and contact information in the show notes, guys. So as always, scroll down to the bottom, make sure you uh, head over to Mike's stuff and check him out. Give him tons of tons of love. And, um, and once you're done doing that, head over to renownedleadership.com and give me some love because I need all the loves. Um, but with that being said, guys, I appreciate you listening to us again, Mike. Thank you so much for joining us. He is a Mike Hardy. I am your amazing host, Stephen Morris. I appreciate it, guys. I will see y'all next week. And until then, don't forget the lead like a champion. Goodbye, everybody. How I try to sleep, but you're deep in my mind. Got a hold of me when I'm awake, I'm all blind. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Mike. I had a great time chatting with him. He's an awesome dude. Um, really just, I had a whole lot of fun talking to him. And if you're interested in getting into the real estate game like I am, uh, definitely highly recommend him and his associates. Like They are a solid uh, company with a great mission and uh, great values. So go check him out. His links are below. Go give him tons and tons of love. Once you're done doing that, head over to roundleadership.com. Click at the top middle of the screen. Talk to a coach now. You can come talk to me absolutely free. And uh, we'll see what you got going on. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. And I will see you all next week. Actually, next week is Christmas. So there are going to be some bonus episodes for you all. Make sure you all tune in Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And of course, uh, the natural or normal time. But yeah, I hope you all have a safe and happy holiday. And uh, I will see you all Christmas Eve. All right, everybody. Don't forget, lead like a champion. Bye.